young adults are and young adult ministry are caught in a death cycle right now. And the solution is not just to do more, not just to produce more, not just to kind of say, oh gosh, I hope it works. Our solution is to step into our life as spirit-filled leaders, to go on mission and believe that community will be built out from that. Friends, the world desperately, desperately needs disciples and disciples need spirit-filled leaders. These are the challenging words of Pete Burek, director of ID, the young adult outreach of Renewal Ministries. And this is OSV Talks, a show where we explore topics from prominent Catholic leaders to spark discussion, discover new or rediscover old approaches, and inspire creative thinking, all from the heart of the church. My name is Doug Took, and I will be your host. What we often do with young adult ministry is we paint a target of where we want to go, and then we produce all these arrows to hit the target. And I'll just make it personal, right? So with my ministry, what we're very good at is painting the target, intentional discipleship. And then for most of our history, what we did with our parish partnerships is we'd give them arrows. And then we stand back and we say, now hit the target. And praise God, wouldn't you know it, sometimes they do. And it's fruitful and it's sustaining and it's, it's re- repeatable. But if I'm being honest, most of the time the arrows go everywhere. And every time we miss the target, what do you think we did? We analyzed the arrow. And what it's finally kind of got through my thick skull is it's not so much about the arrows. It's about the archer. We need to invest in the archers because a good archer can take a bad arrow and still hit the target. Pete Burek is one of our featured speakers for OSV Talks filmed before a live studio audience during the week of October 5th through the 9th. We also had the privilege of interviewing him about his incredible work with Young Adult Ministry and his efforts to develop spiritual leaders. His full talk is available at osvtalks.com. His message is titled, The Young Adult Ministry Death Cycle, an expository look at the challenge of ministry to, with, for, and by the largest generation the world has ever known. Pete, thank you so much for joining us. You you are a young adult uh, and you are a family man and you often talk about the the strength of the formation of your younger adolescence and how it's led you to remain Catholic and be active in the faith. Can you speak a little bit to that? My wife and I have four kids. Love covers the multitude of sins and the thing we pray for most, I think, out of anything as a husband and wife is wisdom. To know how to navigate. So we've got eight, six, four, and two, two girls, two boys. A lot of ingredients went into uh, helping me remain in the, in the church. Um, certainly it was my parents, certainly it was their friends. I also was raised in a really dynamic parish with um, a healthy and holy and normal priest who was uh, a man that I wanted to emulate as well, who took interest in me and took interest in the, the other young men we've had so many vocations come out of our parish alone in large part because for several reasons, one, because of the the activity of the Holy spirit within the parish, Eucharistic adoration, 24, seven, seven days a week. Uh, the men of the parish celebrating vocations. Uh, you ask most guys in our parish, would you rather have your son be the president or a priest? They're going to say a priest. And a lot of it had to do with the leadership of our, of our pastor. 
uh, different moments like Pine Hills Boys Camp, which I'm now the, privileged to be one of the directors of, which is a, just a week long camp for seventh, eighth, and ninth grade boys. To it's all about leadership formation and introducing them to the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit. So things like that. Um, you know, my couple of years at the University of Michigan were, were really formative because I was thrust into the belly of the beast and had to learn how to defend my faith and stand for it in a very different way than in a Catholic environment. Then, of course, going to Franciscan was was more of a like a two year retreat. Also falling in love with my wife helped a lot. But ultimately, um, if you would ask why I remain Catholic, it's, it, it really comes down to I truly believe that at Mass, that bread and wine becomes the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. And I can't walk away from that. You know, uh, As much as the church frustrates me at times, as much as I... Uh, want to emulate some of the different evangelical churches as much as there's just so much that could be done to make it better, right? Uh, at the end of the day, why I'm Catholic is because of my belief in the Eucharist. And that's tied to a lived everyday experience of knowing that Jesus is, is real and he's the Lord of my life. The elephant in the room is that a population of young adults have really left the church. And I know you are really an expert in this field and you are steeped in this field of ministry. Can you speak to that? Can you tell us kind of why you think that is? And what is the disparagement that is really left to a, a an exodus of nearly an entire generation? I think some of it has to do with um, just very much a consumer mentality as, as a Catholic, where my generation has been conditioned to um, we decide what we like and we have access to whatever we like. So when I turn on Netflix, Netflix has provided every conceivable form of visual entertainment that I could want. Netflix doesn't tell me, well, ultimately they get to the point of telling you, but in my mind at least, I'm the consumer, I get to decide, oh, I like this show, I don't like this show. If I don't, if I stop liking the show, I've got thousand other options and it just feeds this consumeristic mentality i mean that's just one example that's an entertainment example but even just from the clothes that we wear to the food that we eat to the everything we've been just this abundance of options have been given to us in our entire life we've been told what do you like what do you want and if we don't have it we'll make it for you and we we're, we're the you know we get to decide how to curate our own little existence the experience of the liturgy is basically the complete opposite of that. It, you, you are lost in a communal experience of a sacrifice, an eternal sacrifice, where you are drawn into a mystery that is not about you at all. Uh, but by some miracle, we're invited to, be, to participate in it. You know? So instead of coming to Mass with this expectation of feed me, which, of course, the bread and wine, you know, the, the Eucharist feeds us. We feed on the Word and we feed on the Eucharist. But the point of Mass is, is not simply just to be fed, and especially not fed in the way that we want to be fed or we think we need to be fed, but to participate in the most um, just act we can do, which is worship of God. There's nothing more just than us recognizing who He is and humbly saying, I, I just, I just want to participate because you've invited me to participate in this. And, and, and really like losing ourselves in, in this holy sacrifice, right? And so that is just like completely different than the way we've been trained to handle virtually everything in our life. 
So it doesn't surprise me that young adults would go to mass and depending on how beautiful the liturgy is and depending on how the music is, the preaching is, all this, where we are conditioned to evaluate all of that. You know, like we sit there and we go, yeah, we're, you know, homily wasn't that great today and the music definitely was a little pitchy and why do they keep having her sing? You know, like that type of thing. We're, we're in this constant evaluation mode because we evaluate everything else. Um, even think about like Instagram uh, is a series of images, right? And what evaluation do we do every time we see one of those images? We either heart it or we don't. But we're conditioned to evaluate it. We evaluate everything that comes in front of our face. So then when we enter into a church, we're doing the same thing. So it it gets to the point where I think most young adults are more in a place of like, meh, towards the church. Certainly you'll have cases of between the scandals and different things where um, they could use that as reasons to leave. But the vast majority that I've talked to, uh, especially who are raised Catholic, they're just kind of going like, well, I, I just don't know. I don't know. See, I don't see how it's relevant. You know, they're like, if it's good for you, great. But I don't get it. Like the analogy I, I, I heard once that I, I really like is, you know, like Elk Lodges or Kiwanis Clubs or these, you know, you're driving down the road and there's like Elk Lodge number 537, you know, and it's like kind of some ramshackle building and you drive by it and you go, I wonder what they do there. You know? I wonder, I wonder what that, what, I wonder what that's about. Would you ever just like go to an Elk Lodge? No. If you, would you ever pick it an Elk Lodge? No. Would you ever, um, if you met somebody who was a member, would you be like, oh, I can't believe it. You'd just be like, oh, cool. Good for you, man. You know, if they invited you, you probably still wouldn't go though. Cause it's so weird and foreign. There's a huge growing sub, uh, subset of my generation who sees the church the exact same way. The Elk Lodge analogy is probably more for those who have never been raised in the faith. The, but there's a there's that that subset of who were raised in the faith who think they know what the church is about because they did all the steps they were told to do, but never actually experienced the full beauty and majesty and uh, joy really of of living the Catholic faith. And yeah, I mean, it really does come down to if you're if you're not bold enough to bring people to decision points gently, lovingly, but still extend a hand of invitation. I mean, Jesus when he walked the earth was constantly bringing people to decision point. They either were saying, you are Christ, the son of the living God, or I'm the rich young man and this is too hard and I don't think I can follow you. You know, like there was always that, he's the stumbling block. He's the pivot point. You either, you either see him for who he is and you long to follow him and become like him or um, you choose a different path. I love that language of decision point. You have to come to a decision I don't think we use that language enough in our in our ministry. Uh, I, I, a silly question, perhaps, but I think one that's really worth answering is, what is a young adult, right? And this is kind of like a point of contention among ministers. Can you help us really clarify the demographic? Yeah. The way I like to just say it is people in their 20s and 30s, married, single, with, without kids, recognizing that there's mo- massive differences between the 20-year-old and the 38-year-old, um, which you can kind of parse out. And right now we're in a bit of a moment where millennials are starting to age out of young adulthood and Gen Z is starting to age into young adulthood. I don't even like the term young adult. Quite honestly, I like youngish adult, you know, because they're, they're adults and they're just on the younger spectrum of them. Um, I think some commonalities you'll see between millennials and Gen Z are things like, um, you know, we are extremely uh, lonely, ironically. Uh, we don't feel like we have a people. I talked about this in my talk a little bit. We don't, we don't have a, a tribe or a people that we're, we're running with, even though we have so many connections and we have so many friends. 
on Facebook and Instagram and all this, uh, Snapchat, TikTok, whatever it is, that we have connections with people, but very few people really know us, uh, for sure. We are incredibly relativistic when it comes to truth. So, um, you know, if you ask almost anyone who's in that age range, uh, what is your source of truth? One of my favorite questions to ask them is they'll usually, number one, not even close, is whatever I've experienced. Yeah, whatever I've experienced. Then number two is usually something like, well, science. And then number three is like Google or my parents or something like that. But number one by far is whatever I've experienced. And here's why. Um, any, basically, everyone who's ever stood in front of us and told us how to live has let us down. So what has happened is we are longing to be led, but we are incredibly cynical of leadership. So let's just uh, take the different segments of society. Uh, you have family, right? Family is a breakdown of divorce rates. The, the fundamental unit that should have taught us how to live splintered and shattered. Um, sports figures. Tiger Woods, Joe Paterno, Jim Trussell, you name it. All these, all these guys who, like Jim Trussell, I mean, I'm not trying to bash the guy, but he wrote a book on integrity and they got busted for cheating, right? Uh, political figures. Think about the church. Our, our bishops and our priests with the scandals and all these different things. So, so many people have stood in front of us and said, this is how you should live. But then when we get to know them, we realize it's hypocritical and they have clay feet. So we're longing for leadership. We're longing for, for truth, but we don't know where to find it. So the only thing we can trust is what we've experienced, which when you think about it is like totally ridiculous. You know, you're talking to like a 24 year old kid whose worldview is based on what they've experienced. I mean, what have they experienced? Next to nothing. But they don't know where else to turn. And then ultimately, the best way uh, to describe kind of the younger generation is they are wrestling with the three big questions that every human wrestles with, but are not finding answers to, which is, who am I? Where do I belong? And what's my mission? Or what's my purpose? What's so sad is that the church has the best answers to those three questions. And yet they've my generation doesn't feel like they've ever heard the answer uh, in a way that they could understand. Who am I? You know, where do I belong? And what's my purpose? Every human being asks that at some level. But maybe more so than at any time in history, this generation legitimately does not know where to look to answer those questions. And it becomes this self-determining humanistic effort to curate who I think I am, which leads to 57 different genders and leads to all sorts of craziness because we we don't know where to look we don't know who to trust and so it's uh, it's it's a project of my own self-determinism and that is severely lacking is there hope i mean is there hope for this ministry for for serving a generation that is really struggling with identifying truth as a person absolutely tremendous hope because as much as they um don't know where to turn and as much as they've kind of said i'm my whatever i've experienced is my source of truth gives us a clue if you can create an environment with people that they have learned to trust and then invite them into a relationship with jesus and they experience the living god who loves them well then where do they what they can't deny it because their worldview is based on it we've just found over and over again that attacking the head knowledge piece of it the apologetic angle it's not like it can't work very often it's more of let's enter into a relationship with each other so you can see what I actually believe. You can see how I live. And again, one of my definitions of discipleship that I like is living an imitatable life. 
living a life that can be imitated. Well, you can only imitate something that you see, that you have access to. And so to be able to invite people in a very genuine way, an authentic, transparent way of saying, this is who I am. This is my struggle. These are my struggles. This is, this is what I, these are my doubts. These are my fears, but this is who I love and who loves me. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm doing the best I can to live within that framework, you know? And then over time when they can see that and then, but then it's not just enough to bear witness to it in your life. You have to get to the point where you, you know, give a reason for the hope that is within you as scripture talks about, right? And actually invite them to say, this is what Jesus has meant to me. My personal testimony of what he's meant to me. Would you like to uh, try it as well? So what do you think the practical approach is? I mean, when we talk about relational ministry and building community, what are those strategies um, that you've seen fruit? I mean, I've, we've done so many work, so much work with young adults who maybe don't work, don't pray much. But then when you say, Hey, do you mind if we pray together for a minute? They're like, okay. You know, and whether or not that's the moment where the Lord breaks into their heart, at least then there's, they're seeing like, Oh yeah, Christians talk about prayer, but this Christian in front of me just prayed and, and he meant it. You know, and it's it's real to him. And then trusting that the Holy Spirit is the one who brings about conversion anyway. You know, I think too too often we all the pressure falls on us in some ways. We feel like we we're the ones who are going to lead to that breakthrough moment, and we're just cooperating. We're just conduits of God's power. Uh, Pope Paul the Sixth talks about this when he talks about evangelization as the Holy Spirit is the principal agent of evangelization. Right? He's the one who prepares the heart of the listener, gives us the words to speak, and actually gives us the power to speak it. So in some ways, we just have to be open and willing to cooperate with what he's doing. And then the rest is on him. Relying on the Holy Spirit is key. And I know that your heart speaks to that and really all the work that you do. I want to ask you about the buzz term in ministry, and that's the word accompaniment. And I know Pope Francis uses it a lot, but man, I just think there is a ton of misunderstanding about what that word means strategically and what we're really supposed to do with that commissioning. Can you speak to that? I'm glad you asked that. Uh, I think definitely a buzzword and definitely um, potentially co-opted for a lot of different reasons. A little bit like evangelization or discipleship or these words that are more common now have various meanings for different people. The way I understand accompaniment from the way Pope Francis is talking about it and the examples he uses in Scripture uh, it, it's the road to Emmaus is always the example given, right? But there's some really key things that happen in that uh, that are, can often be overlooked. So you have these two disciples who are walking away from Jerusalem. They're going the wrong direction. They are in a, a crisis of faith in that moment. Jesus appears and, and walks alongside them. Beautiful. And um, does the classic Jesus like, hey, what's going on? What things are going on? Like he's the only one who truly knows what's going on and he's asking them. Right, which is, but what I love about that is one of the best ways to begin this process of accompaniment or evangelization for a young adult is to ask questions, to get to know them. What's what's going on really deep down inside you, not just on the surface. What's going on deep down? And so they tell him, right? And then, but this is this is a really key point. Then Jesus opens the scriptures for them. He doesn't just let them spout off with whatever they say and go, "Oh yeah, good, great. Let's just keep walking." No, he's like, "All right, that's good." But there was a moment there where he needed to speak the truth. And he unpacks everything that's going on. He, he, he seeds their heart with the word so that later when we know what happened, when he reveals himself, they, they're, they're prepared for it. But 
you know, accompaniment is not just walking with somebody for the sake of walking with them wherever they end up going. Accompaniment is not an end. It's a means to an end, in my opinion. Accompaniment is a part of the process of evangelization that then hopefully leads to discipleship. So if evangelization is the, the preaching of the gospel that leads to decision for somebody to become a disciple, then a discipleship is growing in maturity as a disciple. Accompaniment to me is inserted into the process of somebody's evangelization journey where you're walking with them, you're getting to know them, you're asking them questions, you're seeding the truth in them, but you're, you're looking for and eager for the moment of decision. Jesus reveals himself in the breaking of the bread. And those disciples now have a decision. <laughs> and the point was, not that they then just kept on their way. No, they turned back and they go back and, and live a different life again. They become disciples in a deeper way again. And so I think accompaniment can be used too loosely as this, oh, if as long as we're walking with people, we're good. And you don't want to treat people like a project. Right? You don't want to enter into relationships with some sort of manipulative mindset that I, I'm only getting to know you so that I can preach the gospel to you. But I also don't think it's the worst thing to be able to say, like, I love you so much and I believe this so much about the truth about what path you, I perceive you to be on, the broad way and the narrow way, you know, that this life has consequences, that there is a heaven, there is a hell, and how, how we decide to live does determine our eternal destiny, that it matters whether or not you know Jesus Christ. I don't think that's manipulative to then say, I'm going to enter into relationship with you because I want you to be brought to a point where you can decide for him. And if you don't decide for him, it doesn't mean I, I cut you off. You know, if, it doesn't mean the Lord would have stopped pursuing those disciples had they, in that moment of revelation, decided not to turn back to Jerusalem, you know, but I, I don't know why it wouldn't be our goal that everyone we're in relationship with would at some point be brought into the fullness of the family of God. Like to me, that is why, why would we, why would we in any way uh, desire anything but that full communion for all mankind? Scripture says God desires that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. How will they do that? Paul says, unless somebody preaches, unless, and how would somebody preach unless somebody is sent, you know? So there's, it all works together. And, um, I just, I fear sometimes that we use the word accompaniment to justify an actual lack of evangelistic fervor. Uh, I can say, I can feel comfortable that I'm, I'm doing the work of God because I'm walking with somebody. But if that walking with somebody doesn't have, um, a perceived end that would lead to a, would lead to proclamation then I, I think that's that's problematic agreed so the title of your talk is the young adult ministry death cycle which i love because it's eye-catching but also it kind of asks uh its viewers to examine their work in many ways can you speak to that title and just kind of why you chose it and and uh where it's kind of moving you i think it's it's a combination of um the good side of it is people still have a desire to reach this generation. Okay, so one angle of it is the, the ministry death cycle. Let's do the three-year one where it's like really exciting, plateau, decline till death. Usually a parish might take a year or two off, then a new leader emerges, and then we're back caught into it. Well, the fact that they're willing to try it again is, is encouraging, right? The problem is, to your point, um, it's like we're not really 
learn. And I was, I, we were caught in it. So many of our chapters that we formed when they didn't work, I, I even say in the talk, we were like, what, what's going on? We, we keep giving these great arrows to people and why are they missing the target? And we kept focusing on the arrows. And it was, as we've learned about the need to focus on the archer, it snapped us out of this mindset of like, let's, we, we got to just keep doing what we know how to do. So I think there's, um, there's a well-intentioned component of it. I think there's also, events are easier, you know? Not that hard to put on an event. Not that hard to push play on a program. It's not that hard to, you know, get the latest thing off the shelf and say, all right, we're going to do this together for a time. And, and I say all that, and it sounds very disparaging towards, I mean, I run a program for young adults, right? So I'm not against programs, but it programs in the hands of people, not, not again, the idea that programs should serve the people of God, not the people of God serve the program. And so I think we, we rely on these different services and programs and Bible studies and all this because it's, it's just easier. And it's, and it's a bit of a short-term fix, right? So we can, we can check the box and say we did something. Um, that wasn't a waste of time, but it's a much slower burn and a much longer process to really invest in people and walk with them and uh, see it not as like, a, oh, we did something for the last three months. Good, we've accomplished something. But one way I like to talk about it is it we're in this mess, right? Well, who's to say it won't take 30 years to get out of it? I, I, I think too often we think of short-term solutions, turnkey, silver bullet stuff that just doesn't exist as opposed to saying, all right, it took decades to get to where we are. Are we prepared to take decades to get back out of it? So one of the phrases we like to use is that we all have a role to play in the discipleship of everyone. We all have a role to play. We want to create people who have the DNA of Jesus and then who are discerning, how, how am I called? How am I gifted? And then where am I commissioned? And it's not going to just be young adult ministry. We did a thing for uh, young adults during COVID called the Spirit-Filled Leader Intensive Course, yeah. right? We had uh, 80 young adults from around the world, 12 different time zones. And one of the funniest things was I did it with the intention of this might lead to more chapters, like more of our communities that we can work with. It'd be great, you know? And I'm talking to one particularly dynamic young lady and she said, yeah, the course was so helpful for me. And I said, oh, great. But what's God saying to you right now? She said, yeah, I really feel like he's calling me to stop doing all young adult ministry. And I was like, and a little part of me died, you know, like what? It's like in my mind, it's like, that's the exact opposite of what we were looking for. And then it occurred to me, I was like, no, that's exactly what we were looking for. What she was discerning was she needed a time of rest to be closer to the Lord so that he could send her healthier, more full down the road. She was like, everything in me wants to just do ID with you guys. Everything in me wants to start a chapter with you guys. But I really feel like the Lord is telling me to pause and be with him for a season and then we'll see. And to me, that is, oh, it just makes me so happy to hear that because it's, it's a disciple discerning the voice of the Lord and then having the courage to act on it, even when it's not exactly what I would have picked for them. But that's what a spirit-filled leader does. They hear the voice of the Lord because they're abiding with the Father. They're striving to become the Son and they're living in the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been really focused on this probably for about the last 18 months to two years and um, it's a paradigm shift. You know, it really is a paradigm shift to not just be an event kind of programmatic team, but to see this as no, this is my life now. I'm, I'm living a, a Jesus-shaped life. I'm so thankful for your yes to ministry. Uh, Pete, you're, you're an extraordinary leader. Can, can you tell us a little bit more about where we can find you, about uh, intentional disciples and 
the work you're doing and uh, and uh, stay in touch with with your incredible success. Our mission is to form young adults into intentional disciples of Jesus Christ. That's our why. What we do is to form spirit-filled leaders. And then how we do it is through a bunch of different courses and these parish partnerships that we we enter into relationship with parishes because we're a parish-based apostolate. So we want to actually enter into the heart of a parish and help them build from within uh, what Pope Francis called the community of missionary disciples, right? This, these people have got everything we've been describing. Uh, so we have several chapters around the United States and Canada, always looking for more places that are hungry to, to reach this generation but need a little help. Um, easiest way to find out about us would just be to go to intentionaldisciples.com or we're all over social media, search ID or intentional disciples. And the, the main thing is we're just saying who's who has a heart, a beating heart for, uh, and maybe even better, a bleeding heart for this generation and is willing to invest a little bit to see what we can do. And um, we offer everything with an open hand. We don't, we have some things that we would kind of mandate to say, this is what it means to be an ID chapter. But most of it is saying, we're going to invest in your community with you, help you raise up leaders who can live a common rhythm of life together and see what that means for reaching the rest of the young adults who are both in the pews and then hopefully ultimately who are not. Young adults are, and young adult ministry are, caught in a death cycle right now. And the solution is not just to do more, not just to produce more, not just to kind of say, oh gosh, I hope it works. Our solution is to step into our life as spirit-filled leaders, to go on mission and believe that community will be built out from that. Friends, the world desperately, desperately needs disciples, and disciples need spiritual leaders. These are the hope-filled words of Pete Burek, director of ID, the Young Adult Outreach of Renewal Ministries. You can listen to his and all the OSV Talks at osvtalks.com. We hope you've enjoyed this show. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review our show wherever you like to listen. Contact us at osvtalks.com with your questions and or comments. Friends, innovative thinking is at the core of OSV, and OSV Talks is part of a much larger effort to be a catalyst for Catholic innovation. OSV Institute for Catholic Innovation, in partnership with ODB Films, brings you these talks from prominent Catholic leaders to spark discussion, explore new or re-explore old approaches, and inspire creative thinking, all from the heart of the church. Until next time, God bless. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.